You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. So, thank you so much for that welcome. Um, is it all right if I move forward a little bit? I just really like to be able to see people's faces, um, and I'm just a little bit blinded, so I'm really sorry, camera guys, if I'm messing with you. I read a book once, because I'm probably, you know, very much a pastor and have other gifts, I think, and I am who I am. But I read a book once called They Smell Like Sheep, talking about pastors, and it means, you, you know, you've got to be close enough to the sheep to smell like them. I don't know if I want to smell like Sal, but, you know. But that said, Angela's got something she'd like to share with you guys. Okay, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background on us, so you, you know us. We came to Sydney 20 years ago, Planet Church. Uh, we have three grown children. We have one gorgeous granddaughter who is downstairs because we've had her for a few days while her mum has, her single mum has a break. <laughs> We're worn out, yeah. <laughs> the joints don't do what they used to do. Um, I'm a nurse by profession, uh, working family and child health, teaching basically mums to teach their babies to go to sleep. Um, but I did have a word, I actually had got it last week. We were in a different church last week, or maybe it's the week before. Anyway, one of the last two Sundays, and I actually thought it was more for today, and it's, we, we so often talk about having to know who God is, and I just felt God say to me that we actually also remember what he's not. So it was in the context of me thinking about some disappointments and him going, um, I'm not a God of disappointment. And if you think about that, we always say God's love, God's a father, God's um, truthful, but we also have to remember that that means if he's truthful, he doesn't lie. He does, he's not unloving. He's not hateful. Um, we just need to, whatever it is you struggle with to know about God, think about what he's not in the opposite. And it just helps us to remember then and get more of a grasp on who he is. Good word. You don't need the sermon now. I was just thinking, you guys are a brave church. Do you know Why? That song that we were singing, is that, that one about refining. I want to be refined by fire. And I, I looked at Andrew and said, do we want to sing this song? And I said, young people these days. But it is cool, you know, because when we are refined, uh, it proves that God's our dad. Because he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And he brings circumstances and context into our life because he wants to fashion Jesus in us. And so that can really shift the way you see the problems that we go through. If we think, well, God didn't orchestrate the bad, because he's not like that, part of his nature, but he works in the bad, we know from Romans 8, for all of us who love him to form Christ in us and bring us into a better place. So that's a thought I had. Another thought I had was, uh, you know, I was sitting here and er earlier, I think Leon may have asked me, someone asked, how long is it since we came up here? It's 20 years ago. Because Angela was just about to turn a certain age. You should never out your wife publicly. And I was thinking, yeah, that's 20 years ago. Roughly now, we were very close to leaving Tasmania, coming up here to plant a church. But about 23 years ago, I made a trek to Sydney, looked up in the NCMI things, who's the guys in Sydney, and had a coffee with a bloke in Darling Harbour, which was Leo, and chatted to him about what it might look like to come up here and plant a church. So we've known each other for a long time. And uh, Leo's always been an encouragement. Someone to me, Leo and Christine, who I think you would have to agree, they are really tenacious and they persevere. And here you are in this building and you're looking towards the future. It's quite amazing, really, and we've watched a lot of it. Even though we perhaps haven't been up here as much as we would like, we've been busy with our own church. It's just a blessing to be here. So, again, thank you for having us. Now, 
I need to say this too. I haven't preached in over a year, so if I actually forget how to do it, I think maybe someone will jump up and take over, all right? So this is the first preach in a year, so we'll see how we go. Ah, Got to relax. Can we just pray again? Heavenly Father, we just want to settle our hearts right now. And we say, come Holy Spirit. Help us to look past the person speaking and to hear what you are saying by the Spirit of God directly to us through your word, but in an anointed way. Lord, we say as an active conscious decision right now, Lord, speak to me. Speak now, your servant is listening. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Ooh. Start the clock. It's tradition. I always did that in my own church when I used to lead a church. Can I say that God has blessed us, uh, Andrew and I, uh, we have been set free from leading a church but called into a different season. Uh, So he's blessed us financially where we can uh, now just minister wherever doors open for us and we can just freely go. And so we don't know exactly what the Lord's got for us. This is like a beginning of a new season. We've just had a year off, which is an absolute privilege. Most people don't get to do that. I'm still relatively young. We're still relatively young. But we're excited to see what God's got for us. Uh, I I don't think that I'm an ambitious young man anymore, but I want to be obedient to him. I want to follow what he's got for me and for us. And let's see where we go. This is the beginning, you could say, of a new season right here today. And I want to talk to you about... A subject that's probably going to polarise when I say it, I want to talk to you about end times. And normally when someone says, oh, I want to talk about end times, it conjures up all sorts of thoughts in your mind about, uh, well, one of the primary ones would have to be COVID, wouldn't it? Injections and what does it mean and control of governments and the rise of the Antichrist and what's happening in China and uh, Russia and what's going on with them in Ukraine and, and Taiwan and all of these things and what does Revelation say and Daniel... They are normally the things that get conjured up in our minds when we think end times. But I want to talk today about something a little bit different where where Jesus did and the scriptures do cover those subjects and they are important to talk about. But can I just add this, over most of my days as a Christian, which is since I was 17, so that's a lot. Is it 40? 30? I don't know, a long time. A lot of the time what happens when you get into those specific things about end times and doctrine and what people believe and dates and numbers and times and your interpretation of scripture, what actually happens is an unedifying argument rather than something that points us towards Jesus. And some people can get so doom and gloom about end times and it's like, what, do you want to stay here? Do you want to stay in this place? But don't you want to go? Don't you want to be with Jesus? Shouldn't there be a level of excitement if we see that Jesus is close to coming back? Shouldn't there be something in us that says, well, okay, I'm a little bit worried about how it might unroll, but I'm getting out of this place. Do you want to live here? Is this your home? You can sometimes say, oh, you know, your best life now is a catchphrase that we as Pentecostals have adopted. This is not your best life. You don't only live once. It's going to be an eternity where our best life is. In Christ, we can have our best life in this context of mess and sin and Satan and suffering and difficulty. not being too gloomy, am I? But we look forward to the return of Jesus. Okay. In fact, I've only gone three minutes, I will say this. No matter what you believe about end times, 
whether you're an amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, panmillennial, whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, whatever you think about Israel, America, I don't know, all the different theories about what there are about end times events, I'm aware of most of them. I no longer have a really strong conviction about all of those aspects because I've been around a while. But can I tell you that there's three things, three practical applications, no matter what you believe, that if you really believe Jesus is coming back, there's three things that it must do to your soul. Otherwise, I really question whether maybe you're more wanting to engage in the discussion and the argument than actually the heart of the return of Jesus. Here's the three things. If we really believe that Jesus is coming back, we'll live a holy life and we'll be ready for him. We don't want to be caught like there's a thief in the night coming in. We don't want to be caught like the, the virgins with, with, with lamps that don't have oil in them and they run out. We want to be ready because the master's coming back. We don't know when he's coming back. And so things like secret sin, we don't want to have that. I don't want to be embarrassed. I want to hear a well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. Come on. Come on. I don't, you know, and he's so gracious, you know, and I'm not trying to minimize sin at all, but he's so gracious that we're saved by grace through faith because of Jesus' blood. That if there is that stuff, you know, he, he's going to embrace us nonetheless if our trust and our faith is ultimately in him. But how much better to be prepared in the heart to receive our king? That's number one. No matter which, what you believe, that's one of the practical applications in scripture. Two, we want to tell other people. If you really, have you ever noticed some people that are consumed with end times? And even in this season, dare I say it, consumed with end times in the context of what COVID may be. Either it's a sign of the rise of the Antichrist or conditioning us to release our freedoms so more control comes over to us to protect us. That's sort of what I think is happening, that there's a conditioning of humanity to release our freedoms, to accept more control, to protect us. I think it's a precursor thing. That's my personal opinion, but I don't want to argue with you about that because <laughs> we're focused on Jesus. But uh, what was my second point? I've got to go back to my notes. I'm rusty. I'm rusty. I don't usually print the notes out, but I'm nervous. This is a security blanket today. <laughs> Sometimes people are more caught up with the debate than they are with the, con oh, the, the, the very easy conclusion you can draw with, I must tell others about Jesus. Sometimes it's, I must tell others about what's happening in the world. Well, yes, but Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He's the one we need to focus on. Number one, we live a holy life. Number two, this isn't the actual real sermon. This is the introduction. Number two, we want to tell others about Jesus, surely, if we believe the end is coming quickly. And this is a really important one that we can take from Scripture. The return of Jesus in one place is called the blessed hope. It's this hope. And the reality is we live in a sin-stricken, cursed world. And I've got some bad news for you all. You're going to die. No one gets out of this alive. Well, we might get translated and caught up into heaven and skip that bit. That'll be cool, some of us. But have you, if you've been around a while and if you, know, you, you care for people, and I'm a pastor, I've walked with people into death many times. I've seen what sickness does. And you look at the suffering that people go through. Some people struggle with things that happen to them as their kids and they meet Christ and they find relief, but it's still that can plague them. People go through stuff. Have you, have you ever been around some elderly folk who maybe might become, get dementia? It's difficult. It's hard on families. One of the things that we can take away if we really believe Jesus is coming back is that your suffering and people around you suffering, you know what? It's going to come to an end. It's going to get wrapped up. You're going to be in heaven and there's not going to be any more tears. 
you're going to have a different perspective about things and suffering will come to an end. Do you want to live here forever? This is a sin-cursed place. And yes, we can know Jesus and yes, we can have life to the full. And in that sense, we can live our best life here now in him in this context. But we're looking towards a far country that's a better place, eh? Where we want to go. All right, that's the introduction. I want to talk about two passages of Scripture about end times that Jesus um, talked about, things that he said, and I want to pick up on a couple of phrases out of them. But I want to read them in context because it's always good to look at a verse in the context. So in Matthew 24, regarding end times, we read this passage. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming out of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes, Tonga, in various places. These are the beginnings of birth planes. Scripture saying that this is the beginning. It's been going on for a while now, but there's an increase before the baby comes. And so we need to be aware. Then, we haven't reached this point in the West at least, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Pretty scary. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. This is the verse I really want to park on. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's what we want to be, hey? Standing firm to the end. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That's fairly clear. So the key things that Jesus said here about the end times, uh, he said, he made this statement, he said that factually this is what's going to happen. There's going to be an increase in wickedness. Now I looked up the word wickedness to see what it really means and it means bad. That's pretty deep, isn't it? And uh, somewhere else it said it means it's actively evil, actively evil. And so Jesus is saying that in the last days, there's going to be this rise of active evil and badness, not bad in a good way, but bad in a bad way, and an increase in wickedness. And it's going to have an effect. I think he's primarily talking about the children of God, but perhaps society. It's going to have an effect on society in that it's going to cause our love to go cold if we let it. But we're not going to do that, are we? Because we're going to be the people that stand at the end, but it does affect us. The increase in wickedness can affect our love. What love? Well, when Jesus was asked what's Christianity all about, what's it boiled down to, they were trying to trick him, of course. He replied in Matthew 22 and he said, It's this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Another gospel says strength. And all my life of being a pastor, I've always said that if you love God with all your heart, your strength, your mind, your soul, there's not much left. And so this is the greatest commandment. This is what Christianity is all about. This is what Jesus went on and says, said, sorry about that. 
He said, it's the first and the greatest commandment. We have a great commission, which is uh, preach the gospel, but the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, very similar, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? This parable of the Good Samaritan tells us it's the person in your, in your proximity that's in need. I don't think it's the dude who lives next door to you, necessarily. <laughs> it could be. But from that story, we see it can be a stranger in your proximity that is within your means to help. I think when Jesus clarified, that's what your neighbor is. So what he's saying is that one of the signs of the end times is that there will be an increase in wickedness in society and in culture and all around about us that rises up and it erodes our capacity and our ability and our desire to love God completely and walk a holy life because part of loving him is obeying him. He said, if you love me, you will obey me. It's one of his love languages, but also loving each other. And I'm having a bit of a crack at COVID, aren't I? So I'm going to have another one. When we were in Queensland, we escaped Sydney at the beginning of the mega-long lockdown. We came back to join in with you all for the last eight weeks. We escaped the first eight weeks in Queensland. Some people said, why come back? So we were part of our holiday. We were up there on a motorbike trooping all around. It was awesome. And you feel removed. It's another world, another planet almost in Queensland. It's very unreal. And it's like COVID didn't exist. And so I was looking at Facebook and social media and everybody arguing, Christians, about COVID and vaccine and what side of the fence you are on, whether you're into it, whether you're not getting vaccinated, whether you're this, you're whether that, the whole spectrum. And I thought to myself, the devil must be super stoked to see the children of God. I was nearly said bitching, but you can't say that in church. <laughs> so arguing with each other. Angela's frowning. And it's like, really? Jesus said, by this, what? Love, you will, they will know, the world will know that these people love me. Could the love of most be growing cold and could it be exhibit A, the way we have behaved? I just worry about things like that. I deleted a lot of Christians from my Facebook feed once because they were contrary and I didn't like what they said in front of the heathens that are on my page. And some of them I told, I'm deleting you because you won't stop arguing and I'm worried about what the unsaved think about you complaining to me over such trivial things in the context of the kingdom. Gee, do you think about things like this? I do. In the end times, there's this warning from Jesus, a statement actually of fact. He said this will happen, but we can be counterculture, can't we? Because he does give that promise that those that stand firm to the end will be saved. That's me and you. We want to stand firm. I want to ask you a question. How's your love for God going? How's your love for others going? Jesus said here, because of the increase of wickedness. You know, one, one way that wickedness has increased is via these things. When I was a boy, <laughs> a thousand years ago, in far northwest Tasmania, got radically saved out of depression, suicide and drugs at the age of 17. God completely turned me upside down, never been to church, started devouring the scripture. I had a massive encounter with him and then I started learning about who he was. It's quite opposite to how a lot of others come in. But I remember when I was a young guy, you know, probably 12 or something, you first get introduced to pornography 
And, you, you know, you have to get porn when I was about 14. You had to get it from the guy that was in the caravan, in the caravan park in the little town over there. You had to get somebody to take you over there. And it was creepy, you know, because everybody knows everyone. You've got to get into that caravan. Then you get the video VHS or the book in the brown paper bag and you sneak out and there's shame all over you. Now, you got this behind every closed door. There's an increase in wickedness. And when we let sin like porn into our hearts and, and other things like greed and jealousy and bitterness and all of this stuff that grieves the Spirit of God, it, it erodes our capacity to love others because we're clearly not loving Him and then we don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in us to percolate love. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And there's this onflow and, and Jesus is warning us against this stuff. Because, you know, it's, there is this, I don't think anybody can disagree. There's an increase in wickedness, isn't there? There's an increase in wickedness. It's a bit like you've heard about the frog in the kettle. I've actually never done this, but apparently, if you get a, it's not a kettle, it's a pot. If you get a pot, apparently, don't try this at home, and put it on a stove with cold water and you put a frog in it. Apparently, if you heat it up, the old froggy doesn't have the sense to jump out and he gets cooked, cooked alive. And I think that's what's happening in culture and society and even seeping into the church. There's stuff coming in and we no, we no longer... We, we, sorry, we do accept things that we didn't accept before. I was thinking in my 20s, we'd be going to the video shop. Again, now it's so convenient. It's increased. It's on your device. MA15 Plus was always a no. We will not watch that. The first F word, turn it off. Not watching the rest of it. Now... I'm just going to say, whether it is to my shame or not, sometimes it's simply because you can't watch a movie without it. It's like the F word is the new bloody. And I don't want to make too much about swearing, but there's an increase in wickedness. And it affects our holiness, and then it impedes on our ability to love each other. And Jesus said this is one of the signs of the end times, and we need to be counter-culture. Love looks like something. I like Heidi Baker. She's really smart, academic, loves the poor with a passion. Who else loves Heidi Baker? Oh, she's odd. <laughs> There's no question about that. So am I, said my wife, and she's been around a long time watching. She loves the Word of God. She has a PhD in theology. She loves the poor, lays down a life for them. One, what she talks about herself being a laid-down lover in the dirt. What does she love? She loves the presence of God. And she often says, we need to stop for the one. And she's talking about loving God. And stop for the one. My neighbor and my person in my vicinity that's within my capacity to help them by the grace of God. And she says, love looks like something. And Jesus talked about this. Again, in this latter part of Matthew, he said, well... You know, uh, it looks like a glass of water. It looks like a visit to prison. It looks like you're going to hospital to see somebody. It looks like a meal. It looks like listening, listening. Are you a good listener? Are you a good listener? You know, I don't believe you can separate listening from love. Someone who listens, you, you know what? I was saying to Angela about a pastor friend of ours, part of NCMI. I was talking to him yesterday for about an hour. I rang him with a short question and we talked for an hour because I like him. He likes me. And I said, I hope he does. Maybe he has pity. But I said to Angela, I like talking to him. She said, oh, that's because he's a, a good talker. I said, no. I said, it's because he actually asks me questions about myself. 
And when you're a pastor, you sort of professionalize your brain and you ask the questions because everybody's favorite subject is themselves. And we like to talk about ourselves. We do. But we need to go beyond that too and realize that other people like to talk about themselves. And it's great to be in church where you feel you're known. People know me. I don't have to announce that I'm going through this, that and the other because out of friendship and context, people know we need love to well up in our hearts. Don't let it seep out. I want to ask you, how's your love for him? And how's your love for one another? And love looks like something that's quite practical, very practical. Book of 1 John says that if we claim to love God, have you ever met those people that are super spiro? They love God. They absolutely love God. They'll tell you how much they love God. But they really wouldn't ask you anything about you. 1 John says that if we claim to love God but don't love others, the truth is not in us. Ouch. Ouch. How's your love for God and how's your love for the people sitting next to you in your row right there, your neighbours? Jesus warned us because of the increase of weakness, the love of most. But we're not going to be the most, are we? We're going to be the most in love with him, but we're not going to be the most of these turkeys who let their love grow cold and they lose their first love. But we want to be the ones that stand firm to the end. Let's go to Luke 18. So the second passage I want to look at regarding end times, not so much all those specifics that I mentioned earlier, but things that Jesus said about the spiritual and moral climate that will exist in the last days. Alrighty, Luke 18, and there's again, there's a verse I want to focus on in this, but I'm going to read the context, because the context is actually really important. Luke 18, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So that's nice and clear. So this thing that we're about to read, it's a bit like the previous one, is that those who stand firm to the end, they're going to be saved. Well, continuing upon that theme, and I want to encourage you today to be the sort of people that pray and don't give up. Pray and don't give up. When I've shared my life story, I did this thing where I used to had to share my life story in great detail to four other guys that were pastors and associate pastors, and they did the same to me. And we would meet then over the year, and we'd talk about our life and how we're processing things, how our family is, how we're working through things. The feedback that the guys gave me was something that I found profound. I'd never thought about it before, because I'd say, I went through this, I went through that, and I nearly felt like I could give up, and then I didn't, by the grace of God. And they said, Dale, it seems like that's your story over and over. Like I nearly gave up on Christianity because of doubt a couple of times. Just had these raging doubts inside. And when you want to be a pastor and you're doubting that God even exists, that's a problem, do you think? And so I would hide it, these things that were going on inside my heart and my mind, these secret things, because I didn't want it to affect my career and how I was perceived. Sal, was it Sal had a word like that? Someone said this morning, maybe it was Josiah, about people worried about how you may be perceived by other Christians. And that's a tricky thing. And we need to breed transparency in churches if people are going to work through things. But anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. Back to this. Jesus said that his told his disciples, sorry, ugh, get my words out, a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what other people think, 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. I think another version says, wear me out. So sometimes people will do stuff to help somebody, basically to get rid of them and blow them off. And this is a parable that's saying God is actually nothing at all like that. But just let me tell you this story Jesus is saying, to illustrate a point. The Lord said, I've got to stop treading on that. That's not what he said. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, they will see that he will see that they will get justice and quickly. However, here's this second verse I want to dial into. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So two things Jesus said about the spiritual, moral uh, temperature of the climate in the last days. He asked the question, or he made a statement rather, that the love of most will grow cold because of the increase of wickedness. And then also, so that's a statement, and then he comes with a question. And he says, well, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on the earth? And that's a big and important question that I want to unpack a bit. So Hebrews 11 tells us some things about faith. You can read it all later, but it says things like this. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. God spoke and it was, Genesis 1. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. No wonder the enemy attacks it, because if it's impossible to please God without faith, faith in Jesus, faith in his word, keeping our, eyes, our faith walk with him, you can see why the enemy would attack it, because it's impossible for us to please him, to love him, and then to love others. These things are intertwined, I think. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. So when Jesus says here, when I come back, you know, will I find faith? What is he talking about? I think it's two things, just like it can be loving God and loving people, two things. I think this question can relate to two things. It's will he find people who really have faith in Jesus, in the cross, in the gospel, in the scriptures, and they don't move away from that, but they actually do believe what the word of God says. They trust that it's inspired as God breathed. It came out of the very essence of God. Jesus is the living word, but we have the written word and we're faithful to it. Could I suggest to you that I think the church is under assault in the area of uh, fundamental things we need to believe regarding faith? Have you noticed that? There's an increase of wickedness that's coming up and it's eroding. There's an increase of uh, questioning about true faith. And I think on the one hand, Jesus is saying, well, are we, am I going to find people that really have their eyes fixed on him and are not deviating away from who he is and what the scriptures teach? But also, and these things all wound together, I think he's asking the question, am I going to find people who have an active faith walk with me? So I want to ask you two questions and I'm going to unpack them a bit. First of all, how is your belief going? How is your faith going? How is your trusting in things that the scriptures teach? Do you find that while you're here, you can enjoy this and worship and we're in the presence of God and there's an experiential side, but you go home and you can be looking at things and reading things on the web and other people saying stuff that is, is subtly frogging the kettle like eroding what real faith is. 
that really, if, if you have questions, because I'm an expert on doubt. I, I had to have deliverance, demonic spirits cast out of me regarding doubt in my early 30s. When I was 17, I struggled with it all from my 20s. Academic doubt, feelings of doubt, spiritual doubt. It was all over me. And then been set free of it for quite a long time now. But I have experience with this thing. And I know people hide stuff. And people will bury stuff down, questions that they have, because sometimes it's because they don't feel confident to bring it out and to talk about it in community, which is really important. Now, if you're not quite understanding, what is Dale on about now? Hopefully, I'm going to clarify it a bit over these next few minutes. I wrote this. There is an assault on historical Bible-based faith today. There's a thing you may or may not have heard about it called progressive Christianity. It's a dilution of faith to try and repackage Christianity and the Bible to be more palatable, easier to swallow, to ourselves and to others. You may not have heard about it, but you may have heard of people deconstructing their faith. Very dangerous. Which may sound good initially if you're breaking down man's dead religion. I'm all for that. Break down man's dead religion. But often it's a jettisoning of foundations essential to true, true Christianity. It's the reconstruction that's often dangerous, and increasingly we're seeing another gospel rise up that is being constructed, that re recreates God in our own image, like Romans 1 warns us about. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, people. He is God. He's a member of the Trinity. And he came to earth and incarnated, the Bible talks about, well, theologians talk about, John chapter 1. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we saw him full of grace and truth. He's awesome. This is amazing. It's Jesus. It's the revelation of God. He's seen me. He's seen the Father. He's come to show us what God is all about, but also to lay down his life on a cross for us because sin is real. And if you want to know how serious sin is in the eyes of a holy God, then we just have to look at the cross and we should never question whether God loves us because we can look at the cross and say, well, I may have questions about my specific situation in life, but I know that he loves me because look at what the sacrifice that he made for me. And it can be like this metronome that keeps me focused on him. My wife's brother, Richard, is uh, obviously a friend of ours and family. He's the dean of the cathedral in the Anglican church in Hobart, right in the center. He's on the news down there a lot. He's very good at what he does. He's in a church context that I can't get my head around, but we're brothers. One day I said to him, Richard, I said, when all is said and done, when the crunch comes, when maybe you have questions about your faith and, and the church and whether you want to go on with it, uh, you're frustrated, you've got disappointments with God maybe. I said, when it comes down to the crunch, I said, what is the one thing that keeps you going? And he gave me a very good Anglican answer. He said, the historical fact of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think that's a great answer. It's not my answer. My answer is that I was a 17-year-old screw-up of a kid, just on drugs every day if I could get my hands on it, and just in depression and suicide, as I mentioned before, suicidal thoughts, that he met me and radically changed me. And so even to this day, I say to people, well, I'm following him because of what he did when I was 17 still to this point. When I became a pastor, it was because I want to tell other people the good news like a blind Bartimaeus who said, well, once I was blind, but now I see. And this is so important. 
Now, why am I saying that? Jesus said that when he comes back, will there be faith? We need both and. Some people have, I'm, I'm not, if hear me, if you're sitting out there today and you're thinking, I don't know if I can swallow the traditional understanding of hell. See, these are some of the things. I'm not sure that the church's position on LGBTQ, etc., I'm not sure that I can swallow that completely. God's design for sexuality. I'm not sure what the church believes about abortion. Is it, you know, sometimes it's stressful and, you know, it's very complex. Can we just say black and white? It's... And, you know, sometimes it's intelligent, compassionate people that have those questions. Now, I hold what you would probably see an historical Christian perspective on all of those points I just mentioned. I have a daughter who at one point would identify, there's the word, as a lesbian. And she's across the spectrum, and we love her. That little granddaughter downstairs, who she had, came home, lived with us for two years. Do you think you want to turn her out? It's not God's heart. More emotional than I should be. It's not about a dilution of strong conviction and biblical values. It's about loving God first. And therefore, I don't budge. But I can still love you, no matter what you're into. And we need to have intelligent conversations. When somebody says, well, why, why, do you, why does the church say homosexuality is wrong? Well, don't say the Bible said that he created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Now, you might say that for a joke, a little bit of a laugh. But we need to have a debate. And we need to talk, and we need to explain, and we need to have thought about it a bit. We need to have a biblical framework for it. We need to maybe, you know, we've often said, because we've grown up the way we've grown up, and we've known gay people before our daughter went that way, that it's great to be, have, be friends with all sorts of different people. I've got this guy that built the deck on my house, a bit of a tangent, and he's a bit of a radical dude, and he, he keeps inviting me on motorbike rides, and the re most recent one was... Mate, do you want to come on this ride? He said, there's going to be 16 of us. He said, it's just for blokes. He said, there's going to be a lot of beer and a lot of laughs. I'm like, gee, that's a bit confronting for me. But it's good for me. I don't want to go, actually. But I, and I can't that weekend, so I've dodged that one. But it's, I said to Andrew, this is a doorway into these 16 guys' lives. Who else, if I don't go through it at some point? <laughs> just not on the weekend of your birthday. But what am I trying to say here? Some of the things that derail our faith, we need to have conversations about to work through them. And the guy said to me, do you want to have a prayer call? And we can have a prayer call, but we have already had one. But a lot of what I'm preaching about today is stuff for you to process in community. There's a great book, I've run out of time, called Soul Care. If you haven't read it, you should get it. It's by Rob Raymer. This book, the Holy Spirit through this book, sort of saved me at one point. It was like, I remember one day arguing with God about something. Came back, picked the book up. It addressed it precisely. I'm like, holy dooly. There's these things that I was processing a few years ago. And you know how it is. You can promote a book and I give it to you and, and God's not in it, so it doesn't work. But he does say three things that I think work everywhere. He said, when you want to work through the deep things of life, he said, you have to process it three ways. And one is in the, is in the context of being under anointed teaching. And I think there's anointed teaching in this place. 
hopefully this is anointed teaching. Anointed isn't that I'm awesome, it's that the presence of God is on it. He's chosen to be here. He'll, he'll let the, the dumb things Dale says drop to the floor. And hopefully he, he'll take things out of scripture and things that I've said and he'll minister to your heart. And when, you know, sometimes you have these academic questions. I have them. There are things in scripture that I struggle with, but I trust the guy who wrote it. I say guy with a capital G and with respect. The Holy Spirit of God who moved people to write it. And I'm actually happy to not understand it all. And just say, I don't get that. I don't understand why certain things happen in the Old Testament, but I trust him who met me when I was 17. But anointed teaching, we need to be in a place where the Spirit of God can get to us through what is said and in worship, and etc. Secondly, if we're going to process some of the deeper things that might erode our love for him, our love for others, our faith, the faith, and our faith walk with him, we need to be in a place of true community. Because, you know, trust is earned. You know, in our conversation, we, we start conversations and we give out little bits of information and we, we judge, we ascertain how the other person responds as to whether I tr- find this person trustworthy to say the next thing. And so it's so important to be in church in community, not just attending for meetings because you won't process the deep things unless you are. And so it's so important to be in community so you can gain the trust earn the trust, learn the trust, to be able to say, you know what, I find myself attracted to people of the same sex and that you know you won't get judged for it. You know, I really struggle with this hell thing. Does this really mean that my kids who aren't saved don't look like they want to be saved, are going to be eternally consciously punished? Hmm. So what happens with progressive Christianity, if you haven't heard about it, I think you will, is there are Christians who really struggle with that and sometimes they start as intelligent, caring individuals but then they move away from loving God and trusting his word and start reconstructing God in their own image and twisting scripture and it messes with people's faith. Did you want to say something? thought you might have. Get to the point? Oh, the third point, I nearly forgot it. We need to be exposed to an anointed teaching so God can break through the presence of God. I'd probably say in an atmosphere of worship too. Some of the most amazing things have happened to me in, in worship, let alone preaching, both and more. And the, the third one is, you're going to need to yell it out, Angela. I think I might have not written it down. It's encounters. It's encounters with God. Anointed teaching in community, but having encounters with God. You know, once upon a time in another life, I was in my 20s. We were just pregnant with the twins. Well, I wasn't, but we were, you know. And we went to Anaheim because I was a big fan of John Wimber. A lot of you have never heard of him. But if you look at Bethel today, Wimber and the vineyard morphed into Bethel. That's what Californian Christians would tell you. Um, And so we went to his church because I always appreciated his teaching. It helped me a real lot. And... I remember going out to a prayer call. I'll try to keep this short. And there's about a 1,000 young people. I just scraped in. I think I was 24 or 5 as a young person still. And had a prayer call and they just invited the Holy Spirit to come. And the Holy Spirit, they said, here he comes. He's coming from the, my right-hand side. And there was this... I, I started feeling frightened. People were falling, crying. No one was praying for anybody. But the Spirit of God was just drifting through the pack. 
people were falling, as I said. And you could feel this almost foreboding of here comes the presence of God, what's going to happen? And I had this incredible Isaiah 6 type encounter with God where he showed me what sin was in his presence. And I'm still to this day not exactly sure what was happening there. But I had these encounters, these three encounters with God and Angela. I don't know how long it went. Was it 15 minutes? I had this encounter and then I'd just be wailing and crying and hanging on to Angela. I was like, oh God, oh God. And these were seemingly small things. There's a little insight in my mind about hell and the holiness of God and his righteousness. But can I say encounters with God are so important. Because you can do the apologetics, you can do the academic thing, you can look into the historical fact of the death, burial and resurrection and look at you know, reasons why there are facts for, that support Christianity and that it is something that's not chucking your brain out. I'm all for that. It can help shore up faith. But at the end of the day, we need to have encounters with him. So I need to land this with these questions again. How's your love? For Jesus and for people. How's your faith in Christ? If you've got those deep questions, please talk to somebody. Process them. Because you know what I actually have? I just want to say this one little thing. When we keep them secret and we don't process them with others in trusted environments that are safe, usually we end up going down and down and down and away and away and away. And then by the time we do say something, we're actually in a lifestyle because we didn't get intervention and help when we needed it. How's your faith in Christ and his word and how's your walk? You're hearing his voice. I think you've just had a series on the presence, haven't you? You're cultivating the presence in your own life. You're expecting him to speak to you dynamically through the word, through worship, through nature. It's not nature speaking to you, it's God through nature. Are you walking with him? Walk with him in 2022 and beyond, and it's going to be awesome. Let's persevere to the end. Let's pray and not give up. Would you like to stand with me, please? Bless you guys. Thank you for listening a bit longer. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do, but I do want to do this. I'd like you to close your eyes, please, if you're comfortable with that, and set your mind on him. Set your mind on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. And let his spirit just speak to you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. When I come, will I find faith? I'm going to ask you to place your hand on your own heart. If you know him today, then you, you are a priest. You're a believer. And we may well have another prayer call, but I'm just going to ask you to pray for yourself, and I'm going to pray for you. And say, Holy Spirit, we ask now, we pray. I pray, God, that you like, just let your presence fall, Lord. We spoke today about having encounters with you. Lord, we've heard information. We've looked at your scriptures. God, we want to encounter you. Just come and pour out yourself, Lord. Pour out your spirit. Touch our hearts. Touch my heart, Lord. Touch my mind. 
touch my thought processes, Lord, touch my very, the very deepest part of me. Come, Holy Spirit. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com, or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.